This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, the epicenter of politics in the middle of nowhere. The rules of the road are about to get more complicated in Florida. A new state law that beefed up the ban on texting while driving also includes a prohibition on the use of handheld cell phones while driving through school and work zones. That provision of the law takes effect October 1st. The drone strike that disrupted Saudi oil production is having an impact here in Florida. There's been a 10 cent per gallon bump in the price of regular gas. The new director of the state turnpike authority says the software snafu with Conduit, the New Jersey company running the SunPass system, could end up costing the state about $50 million in unpaid tolls. And our resident pollster and political guru here at Sunrise, Steve Vancour, joins us for a one-on-one conversation to break down two of the medical marijuana amendments that could appear on the ballot next year. If you're hoping for a vote, though, you may be disappointed. We'll also check out your daily political calendar and close with the latest on Florida Man, featuring a school resource officer and a stripper who fails the mommy test. This is Sunrise for September 24, 2019. Florida's law prohibiting texting while driving used to be a bit of a joke because it was classified as a secondary offense. Police did not have the authority to make a traffic stop if they saw you texting behind the wheel. There had to be some other reason to stop you, and only then could they issue a ticket for texting. Chief Mark Brown with the Florida Highway Patrol says that all changed this summer when texting while driving became what's known as a primary offense. Effective July 1, House Bill 107 became law. There's really two parts to the bill. 316-305 changed texting while driving from secondary to primary, and 316-306 was created to address school and work zones. 316-305 uh, really changed our texting to a primary law, but it also has language prohibiting law enforcement from reviewing information on any device without a warrant, and also requires an annual report on violators, race, and ethnicity. So for 316.305, it's still a non-moving violation. There's still a $30 base fine. However, the counties are allowed to add extra uh, expenses to that. And as a non-moving, it's zero points on the driver's license. The Highway Patrol has issued 438 warnings since the new law took effect. But Chief Brown says they haven't written many actual tickets because there's a grace period in effect until the end of the year. Our director, Colonel Gene Spaulding, provided direction to our members to focus on educating our public and promoting safety. We encourage our members to issue warnings and concentrating on educating the drivers on why they should obey the law. We still allow our members to use discretion for severe violations and allow them to take uh, action as they deem appropriate. Now, the second part of that law is about to kick in. A week from now, it will be illegal to use a handheld phone while you drive through a school zone or work zone. You can still dock it to your car with a cord or use a Bluetooth device as long as the process is hands-free. But if you're holding the phone, Brown says you're breaking the law. 316.306 is our new language and goes into effect October 1. It requires hands-free use in any school or work zone. As stated in the law, we will continue to focus on safety and education throughout the end of the year, issuing warnings for any violations. And our ultimate goal is voluntary compliance. Clerks of court may dismiss a citation if the violator shows proof of purchase of a hands-free device for the first violation. And it's a one-time use. And as far as this penalty, it's a moving violation with a $60 base fine and three points on their driver's license. There may be a grace period from the highway patrol, but the same cannot be said for local police and deputies. Turns out they've issued 542 tickets for texting and driving since the 1st of July. 
If you had to fill your tank over the past week, this will come as no surprise. Ryan Nickel with Florida Politics reports the average price for a gallon of regular jumped by 10 cents last week. The weekly report from AAA Auto Club says prices are now an average of $2.50 a gallon in Florida. The increase is being blamed on the drone attack on Saudi oil facilities back on September 14th, but AAA spokesman Mark Jenkins says the industry is already recovering. Saudi Aramco expects its output to get back to normal by the end of the month, which means the damage to the markets is already done. Florida could lose as much as $50 million in turnpike money because of the failed rollout of the new SunPass system last year. Nicola LaCorey is the new executive director of the state turnpike authority, and she told lawmakers she's trying to clean up the mess made by Conduit, the company that handles toll processing and collections for SunPass. At one point, it was so fouled up that the state suspended billing, and Representative Mike Caruso of Delray Beach wonders if they'll ever recoup that money. With regards to accounts receivable greater than 90 days, what kind of dollars are we speaking of? So, um, being the accountant, uh, so let me clarify, those receivables, those revenues have not been recognized. So the delinquent accounts that we have, those don't show up on our financial statements per se as an accounts receivable and a delinquent account because we have not recognized that revenue. So it's a cash so basis. It is, it's modified cash basis, but yes. But do you know the, the volume? in terms of dollars of that receivable, even though you don't recognize it? So that um, for that period of time, it's about $120 million. There's $120 million out there in accounts receivable greater than 90 days. Yes. When pressed by Representative Adrian Zika, LaCorey admitted half of that money will probably never be collected. The $120 million piece that on, on modified cash base is not recognized on the balance sheet at the present time uh, will will the uh, auditing firm issue a probability of collection on the debt? Do we foresee a 50% probability of collection, 75%, so we can anticipate a, a loss on, on the balance sheet? Is it, are we going to collect 100, 100 million or 75 million? Is there any estimates at the present time? So there will be no loss on the, the balance sheet. Um, so as those revenues are collected through these additional efforts, uh, we will just recognize them as revenue when when they're received. Um, I would say um, typically we would look at a uh, 50 to 60 percent recovery rate on on that once we move to that collection so process. Would it, would it be fair to say that we can anticipate 50 million dollar potential loss of this outstanding collection that's that's not recognized on the, on the financial statement? It, it's possible. It's possible. LaCorey has only been running the Turnpike Authority for about a month, and she says they have to do a better job for the people who rely on SunPass. Our customers have always been and will always be our priority, and we will work to uh, regain that goodwill that we had with them over the last 20 years of the, the SunPass system. Um, we realize that, that we tripped a little bit, um, but we're moving forward and we're looking at ways to, to enhance our customer-facing tools to make that a, a better product for them. As for Conduit, the company that created the mess, they're on the way out. They have a lucrative seven-year contract with the state and an option for seven more, but LaCorey says the company will not be getting an extension. The initial contract term for the, the CCSS back office was for a seven-year period with a renewal, a renewal option for an additional seven years. As has been previously reported, we will not seek to renew uh, for that seven years, thereby um, rendering this contract 
um, complete at November 2022. That's more than three years from now, but Representative Mel Ponder of Destin is already looking forward to the day Conduit loses that contract. What they've done to the state is, is pretty disruptive. In 2015, when they first did the contract, they knew the volume, what they're getting into. And so even when it was implemented three years later, we still had the, the, the major issues we had. So it wasn't like it was new. I mean, is there going to be, because what we don't, I would assume as a state, we don't want to have egg on our face again in terms of contracting someone who's, who says up front they can handle the volume, but then we turn out and because we don't, I mean, this really puts some folks out. LaCourie says any companies bidding on the new contract will have to prove in advance that they can process the amount of transactions SunPass manages. That's more than a billion dollars per year. She also promised lawmakers she would take personal responsibility and personal accountability for the selection of conduits replacement. Up next on Sunrise, the tale of two rival medical marijuana amendments. But first, let's pay some bills. Florida is a great place to live and do business. Let's keep it that way. By supporting the Florida Competitive Workforce Act, legislators can do the right thing. To remain competitive globally, we must be a welcoming state for everyone to live, work, and play. 11 Fortune 500 companies, 35 major employers, and hundreds of small businesses support the act. And 68% agree it's wrong to discriminate in employment, public housing, and accommodations. Go to floridacompetes.org. Tell your legislator to hear the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. Next up on Sunrise, a conversation about marijuana. Joining us now is a regular on the show, Steve Van Cor. He is our political guru, our poll meister, our political meister, and my expert on pot. Thank you so much for joining us again, Steve. You're welcome. So now we have two constitutional amendments that are in play, but voters are confused. Well, what is actually yeah, happening there's, out there? there's two uh, ballot items out there that uh, are going to attempt to make marijuana legal and for recreational use in the state of Florida. As we know, it's already legal for mar- uh, medical Medicinal use, right? right? And one of them has been struggling. They barely got over the 10 percent threshold necessary to get it to the Supreme Court. My gut is, and having talked to lawyers, it's not going to get through the Supreme Court because it covers multiple subjects. Remember, in addition to having got to gather 766,000 petitions, you've got to go through the court to make sure it covers only one subject. It's not clear. It's, you know, it's clear. It's not misleading, et cetera. They've been struggling. They haven't been re- really raising a lot of money, and they're running out of daylight. The other issue is a new one from a group sponsoring a group out of California called MedMen. They're now a licensee in Florida, uh, and Certera, another licensee. They're pushing an initiative that looks like it's better written from a legal perspective, and so it shouldn't have the problem there. Their problem is different. They're going to have to average, ready for this, Rick, 65,000 signatures a week in the post-House Bill 5 era, where we passed that bill, made it much more difficult to gather signatures. I just don't think they can get there. Also, we see from their finance reports that they um, only gave a million dollars. Sounds like to the average person, that's a lot of money. Minimum entry fee is $5 million at this point. But still, too little, too late. They've got to get that many signatures per week. Remember, they've got to be done by Christmas because the law says they've got to be through the whole process, certified from the local supervisors up to the state by February 1. I just don't think they have the time so, to get so there. So less than four months to collect. Basically, they have to over about a million, collect about a million. Million, million, 50,000, million, 60,000 or so at a minimum because you have about a 25% drop-off. People sign the same petition twice. They're in the wrong county. They 
purposely fill it out wrong, whatever those variables are, that just come, comes with the territory. So the general rule of thumb on getting to the ballot, to get to that 766, and it's got to be distributed throughout the state, you got to get 14 congressional districts, you generally have to get about a million fifty thousand to a million one hundred thousand. Okay. Now, and this, the, the MedMen amendment, is that the one with vertical integration, the one that favors the business? Yeah, that keeps the vertical integration intact because they're tr- what they're trying to do there is go. You remember, you got to get through this single subject thing. The other one regulates it like alcohol. They decriminalize, they regulate it like alcohol, and they break up the current existing structure. I think the court's going to have a hard time with that. So the Make It Legal Florida, the MedMed one, is a little simpler, a little clearer, and keeps the existing laws in place. So despite all the talk about being on the ballot next year, we may end up with nothing at all. Um, I, I would bet 99% chance that there's nothing going to be on the ballot dealing with marijuana. Now, the legislature, <laughs> they, <laughs> well, they could put something on the ballot related to marijuana. Yeah, but you remember how be. difficult it was just to pass Charlotte's Web. Back when it was like, we're trying to save little children from epilepsy, they still had trouble passing. Well, that's, that's a good segue, Rick, because the question is, so what does this have to do with the legislature? And I think a lot of times when the legislature sees something big coming, and remember who the leader was, it was Matt Gates who said, look, we're going to get medical marijuana, let's get the system in place now. I don't think these are going to have that effect this year. I understand. So your prediction is nothing passes out of the legislature? No, that's not my prediction at all. There's several issues out there that that, uh, need to be addressed. Let me give you one example. Um, and I, there, there may not be anything passed, but let's let's talk about what 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 are the things that are out there. Remember, every year since they've instituted the vertical integration with the licenses, there's always been a movement uh, each year, serious movement to change that. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year because remember, in the first circuit, Charles Dodson ruled that the current structure is unconstitutional. The House took an unusual move and weighed in and said, hey, we want to defend this as well. We want to join in the suit, not just write a brief that says we like or don't like something. They wanted to enter the suit to defend the current system. It's hard to believe that the very house that, that gets permission from the speaker to weigh in legally would then turn around and say, hey, let's change it. So my gut is that's not going to be one of the big issues on the table. Late last session, it was an interesting move to limit uh, – the, the amount of THC in smokable marijuana. Down to just, what, 10%? 10%. Right. right now, it's between 17, I believe, and 25% in smokable. The odd thing about that is in vaping and other products, you have a much, much, much higher concentration. So you would say to those people who are smoking it, lower dosage, lower concentration, which means they have to buy more and smoke more. And so... That, did, that went nowhere in the Senate, but there seems to be a movement afoot in the House to kind of return to that for smokable, lower concentration. The, uh, the opponents are calling it the buy more, smoke more initiative. Yeah, it sort of makes sense. It's kind of like them saying, well, you can't get ibuprofen in the 200 milligrams. You can only get it in the 50s, so you have to take four instead of just one. Exactly. Or you can go to the vaping, which is another issue. And speaking of vaping— Oh, yeah, that's going to be a killer this year. Well, yeah. vaping is a big issue right now nationally because in, cigarette, in nicotine vaping, 
they use a chemical called vitamin E acetate, I believe. I believe so. And that chemical has been traced to lung problems. Good news for those who vape marijuana. As far as we know, none of the manufacturers of marijuana vaping materials anywhere in the nation use that. But if you vape nicotine. If you vape nicotine and you're buying a cheap knockoff brand, you're probably getting this cheap additive. So it's not. So, so here's an interesting thing is the feds are talking about wanting to regulate it, but oops, they can't, right? Because it's so illegal. now the states yeah. are looking at it, but when you look at the states, what they're seeing is this isn't a problem with vaping marijuana. The other thing we talked about, caps and THC. The other issue on caps is, remember, uh, several years ago, they put a cap on the number of retail outlets that these licensees could have. It was a big issue. And the purpose of that was to allow the new licensees to catch up. Right, because some right. of the original licensees got a head start. Yeah, they, whoa, 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 everybody taking it. There's been litigation back and forth. Well, that that cap, hasn't that been knocked down that, in the courts. Well, no, only for some. Okay, some who were in first and were opening first. Uh, I believe it was Sotera, Cure Leaf, and True Leaf were allowed to go above the statutory limits. But at the end of this session, those caps go away. So for those who are saying we want to see the growth in medical marijuana patients, we're at a quarter million now, growing pretty rapidly, uh, consistent what we see in other states. Uh, one way to do that is to let more retail outlets uh, come open. I think that'll help some of these licensees become get get online. So that's going to sunset whether the legislature wants to take it up or not is anybody's guess at this point. Now. With all the proliferation of medical marijuana shops, I, I sometimes wonder, are any of these guys making money on the deal? Well, uh, the only publicly traded one that's making money that we know of is True Leaf. Uh-huh. So the other ones, have not they're not publicly traded. Nobody can tell. Nobody can tell. It's hard to tell. You know, I drive by, I drive by two on my way to work. I never see any cars in the parking lot. Yeah. So it's hard to tell. Well, but more cards are being issued every day. It's a growth industry. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because uh, because the person who traditionally gets a medical marijuana card is sick, more are being issued, but more you know, people are, are coming off of that. Hopefully they got well. But we're at a quarter million, and we're growing at a pace uh, at or higher than most other medical marijuana states did when they first thing. The one exception you'll love this is Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma grew, I know. When you think marijuana, you think Oklahoma. But the reason Oklahoma grew so fast is their medical marijuana. The, the audience can't see my air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no qualifying conditions. So you don't have to go in and say, I've got PTSD, I've got a bum knee, I've got a bad back. You don't have to say anything, I and you're allowed to grow your own. I live in Oklahoma. <laughs> I need pot. <laughs> That's enough. That's yeah. right. So that it's hard to see if anything is going to come through the legislature, but you, know, you can guarantee there's enough people interested in it. There's going to be bills. There's going to be hearings. And you know, we'll see if anything makes it through the end. Terrific. Thank you so much, hey, Steve. You're welcome. Appreciate Look forward it. to our next conversation on yeah. Sunrise. On today's political agenda, it's cabinet time at the Capitol. Governor Ron DeSantis, Attorney General Ashley Moody, CFO Jimmy Petronas, and Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed gather at 9 a.m. in the cabinet meeting room on the lower level of the state capitol. The legislative delegation of Indian River County meets at 9. That's at the Indian River County Commission Chambers in Vero Beach. And a texting and driving community forum, hey, that's timely, will be hosted by Senator Bobby Powell and Representative Al Jaquette. That's at 5.30 at Manifest Church in West Palm Beach. And time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, the school resource officer edition. 
A Florida man who works as a resource officer at a private charter school in Orlando is being investigated by Internal Affairs after he arrested two elementary school students. A six-year-old girl was handcuffed and charged with battery because of a tantrum at school that may have actually been the result of her medical condition, sleep apnea. Officer Dennis Turner also arrested an eight-year-old on an unrelated charge, who was processed at the Juvenile Assessment Center and then released. Now, those arrests actually violated procedure at the Orlando Police Department because officers are supposed to get approval from the watch commander before arresting anyone under the age of 12. Turner did not. He's been suspended while the investigation is underway. And a three-year-old girl was found roaming the parking lot of a Broward County strip club at 2 in the morning. Police found her crying outside the Vegas Cabaret in Lauder Hill. She'd been sleeping inside a car while her mother, 23-year-old Munchika Daniels, was working in the club. Police say she left her daughter unattended in the parking lot for about three hours. She's charged with felony child neglect, and the little girl's been turned over to child welfare workers. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting for Florida Politics. We'll see you tomorrow.